everybody out there. I'm so happy to see you again. And today we have a special guest. Uh, that is Denise O'Reilly from UK. Hello and welcome to you. Hi. Hi, everyone. And uh, thanks for joining us today. You have, uh, like everybody else who is an equestrian, uh, an interesting life. I know that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. We had a chat the other day, didn't we, about yes. a few things. So, yeah. So uh, please tell us about it. What? Um, yeah. So how did how did you start with horses and yeah, how? Uh, yeah, so I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't ride until I was twenty-one, uh, so it's quite late, really. Um, and then uh, I came just to a normal uh, riding farm where we got on horses and rode around the farm. And then I had no horsey background, no horsey parents. Um, I didn't even realise uh, that adults could go to a riding school. I thought riding schools were for children, so yeah. I hadn't realised at that point that I could actually go and take lessons so um where i went to learn at this farm then uh you know you all went out in a group of 20 and you walked and trotted and clung on for dear life while the horse cantered up the field and that's how you <laughs> learned to ride so um and someone whacked it on the backside and made it go faster so so then uh, a little later i started to take riding lessons and uh I can remember the complete naivety of, of thinking, well, you know, I've learned to walk, trot and canter now and I can do a little jump. I don't know what else there is to learn, really. So I might as well just buy a horse. I mean, the stupidity. My God. <laughs> My God. The stupidity. Really? And it's a bit like when you learn to drive, isn't it? And, you know, you yeah. then the learning starts. Yeah. Then the learning starts. I hadn't realised that horses could be afraid of traffic. So uh -huh. I take my, my new purchase, who's obviously a four-year-old, um, and hack him from the place I bought him from up to the farm I was going to keep him. And uh, uh, we disappeared through a blackthorn hedge uh, with great long thorns um, at some speed when a double-decker bus came uh, on the lane. <laughs> so I began really learning about horses then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah so obviously part of this um journey was I wanted to be able to sit better because I'd, I'd realized then that there probably was quite a bit more to learn and I'd also begun to get quite interested in dressage and I'd been watching these amazing riders um at competitions and really studying them and working out you know well, what is it that they're doing and again I think the naivety helped so I was naive enough to just think, you know, watching some really incredible professional rider, well, they've got two legs and two arms like me. If yeah. they can do it, why can't I do it? So <laughs> it's only later when you think, oh, are you kidding? <laughs> so, you know, I, I sort of watched and I think, I think in my riding lessons, I think I was the uh, pain in the backside in the class really because and um, the teacher would say something um, and I would think about it and I think, I don't know what that means. So uh, uh, in the UK, a typical thing would be something like use your seat or something like that. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? Which bit of it should I use? <laughs> what exactly should I do with it? 
And I'd look around the group lesson and I couldn't see what they were doing. Wow. They all seemed to be doing something different. And the teacher just said, yes, good. And I would put my hand up and say, sorry, excuse me. Um, could you show me how to do that, please? Or tell me more about it. And, um, you know, from the silence um, and the stony <laughs> looks, it became quite obvious. You weren't really supposed to ask things like that. And, it, you know, I later on sort of thought, well, I don't know. Is it that they um, they don't have a good explanation or do they actually not know? And I think it's that's possible. Right. I think that's possible. And um, as, as a beginner rider or a novice rider, there are places that probably don't have a whole lot of detail on that. Mm. So, um, so I started really asking questions and I think I was asking all the right questions before I met my biomechanics guru, my coach and mentor, who, who really um, gave me some meat on the bones of what we were supposed to be learning about. And it was a bit like, thank God someone knows. Yes. Thank God someone knows some detail. Um, yeah. because that's what I needed um I was an adult by then so I didn't just you know like as kids you don't question what you're told you just do and you learn by doing a little bit yeah. um but I think I, I didn't really do that I wanted to know the answers and I I've always liked the theory you see I've always liked to know and to try and understand what it is I'm trying to do um and I always feel that gives me a better chance then mm -hmm. of, of doing something productive Exactly. With my backside on the horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um so I began like that and then I had this kind of uh really um busy career in nursing. I was a theatre nurse at the time and so I was riding part time and then through learning about these biomechanics I then began teaching biomechanics and uh to other riders and this whole journey began. So and then I had a very special horse. I think we've all had one, hopefully, at least one. But this boy was very special. So he was um, he was like a, a built like a cart horse, really. He was a big, heavy chunk of a guy. He had um, feet the size of a, a small dinner plate. Um, <clears throat> so he was quite unusual for a dressage horse, but he... He had this heart, you know, this this heart yeah. and this wanting to do it. And he loved to learn and, and you know, we adored each other. I did originally steal him from my husband. Um, he used to take <laughs> him hunting. And then he wasn't quite sort of sound enough to hunt anymore. And we were worried about him. He had a little bit of arthritis in his front feet. So we didn't do that anymore with him or jump him. Oh. So I started taking him to some dressage and I just in with this kind of perfect storm of what happened at the time. I had my biomechanics person that was helping me a lot. But then I also uh, met another trainer who was just, she'd had one horse at Grand Prix, but she wasn't a big name, but she really, really got me and she really, really got my horse. And she kind of loved him, you know, so that was, it couldn't have been better really. So she was also very encouraging and, she she made me at that stage very unafraid of mistakes mm -hmm. so you know she would say uh we'll we'll have a bash at something or have a crack at something and it didn't matter to her whether I got it right wrong or indifferent and then the learning begins so I had this enormous freedom from her 
um, to learn things. And then we sort of um, carried on and, and competed uh, through the levels, first level, second level, prelim, novice, and then elementary, which is as, as far as I ever thought I would get. And then we continued on and we learned how to do the movements of the medium. And then we discovered my horse is 17 by this time. Yeah. Uh, she said, well, you know, we haven't thought about doing a flying change yet for the next level. So maybe we should teach him a flying change. So I didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. So we had some interesting varieties of things that happened. <laughs> um, and sometimes there was a lot of flying and not much changing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but we learned together because he had such a good heart, really, and, and because I had good help. So, um, and then we continued on from there. And he just shocked me at every level, really. So by the time he retired, we had competed at Advanced. It's a rite of passage, really, isn't it, to wear... The dressage tailcoat um, mm. and in those days it was a top hat um, and I will never be able to thank my coaches enough or my horse enough for enabling me to fumble my way along to doing that um, but I think it kind of kick-started this whole thing about uh, biomechanics and how you use your body because I needed that detail um, so my um, my business at home is called the dressage secret and one of the reasons it's called the dressage secret is because I did feel that some of the information out there was like a secret that the really good riders knew mm. but perhaps didn't even know that they knew um, they, just, they, they just felt yeah. it in the body exactly. yeah exactly yeah and maybe their part you know my my beginning of my journey was very conscious because I was an adult already. Yeah. Maybe their beginning of their journey was less conscious because they were maybe really small um, or a child, you know, and just sort of out there doing it. So the beginning parts, how to get from being a really novice rider with really not much idea to becoming a more competent rider was, was, quite, um, was quite a difficult part of the journey, I thought. So I... I called what I do the dressage secret because it is like there are these secrets mm. that are not terribly well explained. You get these wow. uh, blanket I, phrases, yeah. Sorry, I, I remember from from my riding. I have been I had been riding for many many years, and then I got another teacher, and she mm -hmm. she told me exactly what to do, and I remember the feeling when I was just wow it's like this exactly it's so and exciting it took me many many yeah. years to come to that yes yeah it is exciting to know that you know even if you've been riding for many years already you can really improve yourself and through that improve your horse so um so you know i began teaching this and then got the wonderful opportunity to teach uh, a little bit abroad so went on a few travels haven't done hungary yet uh, <laughs> it will come <laughs> you're welcome bring me when the sun is shining please <laughs> so uh south africa and australia france poland uh and a few other places as well so that was really really nice then covid hit of course and then everything changed so i currently run a riding center as well as teaching freelance so it's it's a busy old life, but through that I've met so many um, wonderful people and 
really good riders and really dedicated riders at the start of their journey and riders who've got so far and then got very stuck. Uh, and I was kind of interested in your uh, web page and what you were teaching your riders on because there's a lot of riders out there who are nervous mm. or afraid. Yeah. And I started thinking, you know, well, what can I add to that? What can I bring to that? Um, so hopefully I'll get a bit of a chance to tell you a bit more about that today. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds great. You well, you had a, a little story. I thought it was so funny uh, about you coming to a new teacher with with your horse with the big foot. Yeah. So there is a there are a few families in in the UK who are sort of dressage royalty. Um, uh, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying they've probably long forgotten me, I would think. Uh, but the Eilberg family is one such family. Um, and Ferdy is the father and Michael is the son, very talented riders, uh, very gifted. And Maria is the daughter, also very talented, very gifted. And she was a great coach for me. Um, I remember having to be very brave to book a lesson with her. Um, but she was fabulous, actually. Uh, and I took my, my horse, a Welsh cob, cross thoroughbred there because the the big guy with the big feet was getting older. Um, and then one day, um, my Welsh cob cross had done something silly in the field and I couldn't take him on that day. So I messaged her and said, is it OK if I bring the older horse? And she said, yeah, yeah sure, fine. So I turn up and she sort of looks at him. As he gets off the lorry, you can read people's minds at this point, can't you? Because he is like a brick outhouse. I'm five foot two. He was 17 hands and he was so wide. My little feet stuck out at the side of his ribs. He was just so, such a big boy. And um, so I went into the arena. I can just see her thinking, what in God's name am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Um and, uh, you know, he would really not look anything like any sort of dressage horse. So I said, OK, so what do you do with him, Denise? I says, well, we've just done um, we've done some advanced mediums and we've done a couple of advanced tests. Right, she said. And I could see her just looking, thinking this woman is delusional. She, does she really believe she's done that on this? Really? <laughs> right. She said, OK, I'm going to humour her. So she said, OK, so let's just start off in the walk and trot and warm up. And how old is he? And I said, he's 19. Right. She said, I can see her losing the will to live already <laughs> because she's like, what in God's name? So uh, so she said, uh, so does he leg yield? And I said, yes, yes. So I showed her the leg yield and she said, oh, OK. And, and have you done some shoulder in? And I said, yes. So we do some shoulder in. Right, so uh, half passes, yes. Trot or canter? She says, you can do them in canter? And I said, yes. So well, as well, you know, after a fashion. So we gave that a go. Uh, right, she said, starting to take things just a little bit more seriously now. So she says, so what do you want help with today? And I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd really like help because the change, flying change to the left is sometimes a little bit late behind. Okay. She said, well, let's have a look. So she had a look and she said, right, OK. So she and then she was trying to get me. She said, maybe you could just 
move his hindquarters a little bit to the left um, just before you do the flying change. Um, and I thought about this and I thought, okay. Now I wasn't very experienced, you know, my flying changes were properly winging it at this point. Um, so I just thought, well, I'll put my right leg back to try and move the quarters and then I'm going to get the change already. So I really stupidly said to her, so how, how am I going to do that um, without getting the flying change? And she just looked at me and it was like back to those teachers who looked at me when I was learning to ride, like, yeah. are you simple? Do you not understand what's wrong with you? Um, and she said, you know, you just move the quarters over. Okay. And I thought, crikey. So into my biomechanics knowledge and the, um, my coach, she taught me lots of wonderful sort of images of what to do with your body. And she taught me this one about some sort of like a, a double of lines that go over the front of your body um, up the midline, one either side of your midline, over the top of your head, down your back. And that should really align with the horse's spine. It's a nice image. So if you carried on that line along the horse's back, you'd end up with one line either side of his tail. And I thought I could move my lines to the left. So I moved my lines to the left, which of course moved his quarters to the left and I got the change. And she said, right. She says, so what's so hard about that? <laughs> <laughs> and she just didn't have any awareness that without that body knowledge, I would have been completely sunk. And, and the lesson would have been a disaster, really. So, you know, it's it's kind of my, my stuff that I do is bridging that gap between, um, you know, the coaches who can really, really do this at top level, but may not have any idea of where you're at in your body and with your struggles and much more at the beginning of the journey. They may really not quite understand why you're making such heavy weather of it all. Um but, you know, we're all different, aren't we, really? And, and everybody's got their own struggles with it. So, so yeah, so she did yeah. get her mother to come out and look at his feet, by the way, because she said, well, you've got to come and see this horse's feet. I've never taught a horse with such big feet. And I'm just going, please don't stand on anyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that was actually sort of a bit of an epiphany, though, you know, because I don't think that she would have been able to tell me in any clear detail how to do that. Wow. I was expected to know that already. Hmm. Um, so there, there's this gap, you know, that, that people yeah. fall into and then you get the lack of progression in, in their riding or their training of their horse hmm. because um, there are these secrets yes. that you know, they, they need to know about. So, okay. Um, yeah, I just so love your... the story because I could I could see her in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh. What is this <laughs> woman on? <laughs> she really did look at me like I was deluded, really. So, uh, but I had a lot of fun with our horse, a lot of fun. So yeah. um, he was a great boy, he was. We used to feed him ginger biscuits um, and oh. he was a bright chestnut. And, yeah. and we all used to say, you know, it's only the gingerness in the biscuits that keeps him ginger. So... Uh... <laughs> Oh dear. So I, I've got a couple of things that I wanted to talk to your audience about, if that's okay, and about yes. thinking about the confidence side of things and thinking yeah. about, you know, I think a lot of the time when riders are 
afraid. When you've got some experience, I don't know what you think about it, but I think a lot of the riders are sensing something in the horse that makes them think something is going to happen. And that can be anything from the horse holding its breath, you know, or some muscle tension. It can be really slight. Ears that prick in a certain way. <laughs> there is a way, isn't there, that ears prick. There's an yeah. ears prick that's not worrying. There's an ears prick that you really wish wasn't happening. Um, and and I think heightened awareness in the horse is often to do with uh, this sort of hypervigilance where they're a little bit, they have a little bit of adrenaline on board anyway. And that's often to do with discomfort in the body. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, have you come across things like that as well? Is that something that you you would work with? Uh, yeah, I, I work uh, mostly um, in this way that, that I make both horse and human comfortable. Uh, yeah. in small yeah. steps and and yeah. uh, I talk a lot of, about the, the brain what is uh, that is thinking because our brain is always ahead of us in somehow yes. Yes. and as you said you, you're thinking wow uh, now it's going to be like this and this and uh, uh, you have to train that yes. not to yeah. do it mm-hmm. yes so I think that this business that I think about, about the horse's discomfort, I think that horses can get uh, a low level of adrenaline going through their body all the time if they have discomfort. And common things would be um, kissing spine, um, mm. ligament problems, things like that. Mild arthritis, something you may not notice uh, as such as an unsoundness but also muscle tension in the body just not having, you know, strip it back to its most basic level, really, in that the the horse's body may not have the tools to carry a rider well, Mm -hmm. and they may have a rider who is aware of that or unaware of that. Uh, And the rider may also be unaware of how to carry themselves and what to do in order to make themselves easier to carry and optimize how the horse moves its body really um so i think i think a lot about the patterns in the horse's body and i think if the horse is working with a lifted back then a it's a beautiful experience it's lovely it feels so addictive um because you're sitting on this lovely rounded soft swinging back um, and if they're working well into the contact and well underneath themselves with the hind leg I think those three things are very linked but I don't think it happens easily or naturally for anybody really I think that's a very very difficult thing to achieve and I think that the information for me uh, again feels a bit like one of these secrets that you know if you can do it then as a rider, you may not be quite aware of how you do it. So we all get told the same things, um, but there's often some missing information. So I thought um, I might talk a little bit about what I think is missing for mm. most riders in that. So um, so I think the first thing is that like the horse's back um, is not meant to carry us. 
that's the first thing to say and everybody knows that that's obvious but the other thing that it does carry you've got all the attachments on there therefore the guts and everything else so the spine is already being pulled downwards by the sheer weight of the abdominal contents and then we add a saddle and a rider to that and and then it becomes more and more mechanically difficult for the horse to lift the back up so the ways in which we can add to the burden without realizing it one of the common things is to be slightly in uh what we call it here a chair seat i don't know do you call it a chair seat over there with yeah, the leg in uh, front of you yeah the, yeah. the leg is uh, yeah. Yeah. On his chair. Yeah. yeah so yeah and i think that's that's quite common particularly amongst riders who are perhaps leisure riders who hack out a lot who maybe ride out and don't think about how they're sitting because they're just busy enjoying the countryside and having a nice time with their friends and there's nothing wrong with that but if you can do something small to optimize how your horse feels i think most riders i meet whether they're leisure riders dressage riders whatever want to do the best for their horse yeah so you know i'm, I'm probably going to be a bit emotive here and just stand up and say i think if the horse's back functions well i think they live longer i think they sound longer and I think you give them longer, happier, more useful lives because their muscles are functioning in a good way. Mm. And I think, you know, it's like our posture. If we don't function in a good way, that we get tightnesses and things like that. And it, it almost leads to sort of a chronic stress, really, where you might not even realize you're stressed. But if you're tight, um, let's say, in your hamstrings or um, in your neck muscles and things like that, you do have a degree of chronic pain or discomfort yeah and it adrenalizes you so that adrenaline then brings around the stress cortisol and the chronic problems that happen with cortisol in the body um you know and, and the ensuing tightness in the muscles so this is the cycle that i think goes on in quite a low level but it doesn't mean it's not significant so I think I appeal to those riders who want to know more and want to sit well and do the best for the horse because I, I don't know many riders who don't really. We all adore our horses, don't we? So, mm. you know, for me, that's really, really important. So um, I've just made myself a couple of notes here. So forgive me looking to the side. So I think that the back has to be strong to carry and it has to function as a bridge between the hindquarters and the forehand of the horse. So if it has to carry you how much can it move so to illustrate that you can think about yourself carrying two bags of shopping mm -hmm. heavy shopping and trying to move your arms at the same time and then the movement is restricted by the need to carry yeah so if the, the more we can reduce the stress of the horse carrying us the better for the horse's body and the more the back muscles the two long back muscles that we sit on two long strips of muscle that pass underneath the saddle if we can enable those to be able to move then we're really beginning to get the horse to function in a good way mm -hmm. um yeah so i've got a couple of uh exercises that i thought we should probably run past your listeners and see what they think about them so the, the first thing is that if you are in the chair seat, 
you are going to be adding to the weight the horse has to carry on its back. If you come more to, uh, and this is in every book on riding, um, the shoulder hip heel lineup. Yeah, that straight line down through the ear and the shoulder. And it's the knobble on the side of your hip. So your, your listeners can dig around the side of their thigh where it joins the hip and find that little knobble. Um, and then that should line up with the knobble on your side of your ankle. So it isn't the back of the heel and the back of the bum. It's those two nobbles because that's the they're the skeletal markers, the markers of the skeleton mm -hmm. that would line us up into more of a kneeling position. So when we kneel, then our weight is taken much more on the horse's ribcage. And, and there, there it would be very important to have a good saddle to sit in yes. because some saddles, if, if it's not quite right, you you yeah. will get in this uh, Absolutely. wrong position. Yes. So the seat of the saddles, you know, you want that to be as level as possible, really. Yes. Um, and if, you're, if you've got a saddle that's sort of uphill at the front, mm. it's impossible, then you're automatically in a chair seat. Yes. Uh, as much as one that sits down at the front will tip you forward. So, yes. um, so you, yeah. And, and one of the uh, things that we have a lot over here, I don't know about uh, in Hungary, is the, these really marvellous Velcro knee blocks. Do you have these ones? Yes, yes. Oh, I love them. As a teacher, I love them because, you know, you can move that knee block yeah. a centimetre up or down or back or forwards and make the most enormous difference. So uh, I think that that's, that's a gift to be able to have that, that movable knee block. So if you first try and find your... Uh, shoulder hip heel lineup you can either ask a friend or you could um, just hold a schooling whip down from the knobble on your hip and see whether it lines up vertically if you have mirrors you're lucky um, if not maybe you can talk a friend into videoing you to see if you have mm. this okay. and it's it's kind of for a lot of riders it's surprisingly far back um, but the angle in the knee is important as well so the knee needs to be the angle behind the knee needs to be about 90 degrees, 100 degrees at most, really. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of leisure riders perhaps ride a little bit too long mm -hmm. to get that. Mm -hmm. So sitting on their bottom is easier than kneeling on their knees for them. Mm -hmm. So if you have the ability to put your stirrups up a hole or something like that, then, you know, you certainly make that a lot easier. Um and in with the kneeling, you know, one of my favorite exercises, I don't do a huge amount of no stirrup work, but I do do a huge amount of hovering on the knees so that you lift your bottom out of the saddle and you push your knees down into a point, your lower leg will be or feel a little bit behind you. But the balance point is where you can comfortably balance without holding on. And I think if you try that and then you you notice that if you push your heel down and forward, then you end up sitting back down again. And also, if you take your leg too far behind you, then you'll end up kissing the horse's neck. Yeah. <laughs> so the balance point there, that really deepens the thigh down mm. into the saddle. So the, the deep seat uh, for me is all about deepening the thigh. And then finding the connection of the thigh muscles. So if the inner thigh muscles, if you rotate your thigh 
by grabbing hold of your hamstrings at the back. Roll your thigh around, rolling the thigh muscle to the back, and then place the thigh really flat on the saddle. So it used to be something that was done a lot, and maybe, I don't know what it's like over in Hungary, but here it's probably less fashionable to do that now. But, you know, a few years ago, that was how what, how you set yourself up, really. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of merit in that. So when you have um, a good thigh connection and a good connection through your seat all the way down to your thigh and your knee, then that really you've increased the bearing surface so um, of the whole seat. And that's increased the bearing surface across the rib cage, not just on the horse's back. So you can see already how that just makes the biggest difference in how the horse has to carry you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, feeling the freedom of their back. If you ask the hind leg to take a bigger step underneath you um, with your leg, then the back begins to move and lift underneath you. And the mere fact that you've then got more weight on your knees than on your bottom. Yeah really helps the horse to move those long back muscles and that's kind of that's stage one really of of really getting that right so um so what are your thoughts on that Anne what do you think yeah I I um I'm not 100% with you my my English words are not (laughs) but I I know what you mean uh but with the seed and everything and uh, I I know uh, they have been studying a lot with with saddles and and seats and everything that um, most of the saddles are made for men, not for uh, women. Uh, you you have uh, problems with your hips and so on. But yes. as you uh, tell it here, that is more uh, like we should. Uh, carry our weight in in the, the knees yes yeah yeah so yeah more weight in the knees and and i think initially you might even feel like you are tipped a little bit forward yes um, and then you can gradually sort of come back more to upright because the angle at the front of your body where um your hip flexors are um where your hip meets your body your torso yeah, yeah. that angle i think tends to stay the same in riders so if you bring your lower leg back underneath you the angle tries to stay the same because of muscular tightness or weakness and then you end up a little bit tip forward so those hip flexors have to stretch and, and finding a good um therapist or a physical exercise person who can help you with that would be a huge bonus really mm-hmm. Just to, that's a tight place in a lot of because most of us drive quite a lot and then you know you're instantly or sit at a desk for work and then you're mm. instantly tightening those hip flexors so um so that's worthwhile investing in so uh, i didn't know whether we could uh do something as well with this as where they can find their seat bones uh, it might be might be too basic i don't know but uh i regularly see nothing is and, too basic yeah. Nothing. I don't know, yeah, I, I don't know that people always know where their seat bones are. So mm. um, hopefully that if your uh, audience can find a, a firm chair 
and uh, sit on their own fingertips with the palms facing upwards. So if you put your fingers underneath your bottom and then you find two bones in your bottom, your two seat bones. And if you can't find them, then the thing to do is to hollow your back to lift up through your chest, first of all, and they should get really sharp and really pointy. And then to very slowly round out the lumbar area of your spine and you should feel them getting softer and rounder. So you want to think about like if you hollow your back, what you feel is that the seat bones begin to point to the back of the chair. And if you round out your back, then the seat bones begin to point forward to the front legs of the chair. Yeah. So everything starts really with this neutral spine, neutral pelvis. Um, and if you have your fingers underneath there, if they haven't gone dead by now, then <laughs> you can uh, you can maybe kind of just roll yourself very gently from hollow back to round back and back again until you find the place where you feel that your seat bones sit straight down vertical to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, then maybe you need to give your fingers a rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, if you think of stacking your spine out of that really neutral pelvis um then you can begin to to do oh there was a, a game we used to play uh, maybe i can show you as kids called one potato two potato where you put your fist on top of each other um mm -hmm. and you can think of stacking your spine like one on top of the other yeah so that you really feel that each vertebrae stacks coming out of your pelvis and that's a really good way to find your neutral spine um, so have this other little trick. Sorry, gentlemen, this only applies to ladies. So <laughs> if you think, sorry, it's a bit personal, I guess, but never mind. You're listening. Very nice. If you find the bottom boundary of your bra, <laughs> that needs to be horizontal to the ground. So if you think of riders that lift the chest and hollow their back too much, then the, that line would point backwards. Yeah, yeah. They lift it at the front. Mm -hmm. You know, if you wear one of these torture devices on a daily basis, you know where the bloody thing is. Yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you really want to try and make that really horizontal, and that's that gives you really good feedback against your body, so you can actually feel where you are. Again, it's good if you haven't got mirrors or you can't find a handy friend or husband to film you. Mm -hmm. uh, while you're riding so so then we've got the neutral pelvis uh the neutral spine the lovely shoulder hip heel line up and you're pretty much stacked in a really good way then to to begin uh to help your horse to carry you and um, you are the easiest load you could be in at that point really um so yeah uh and then I think the next thing that I would think about is, is what I call the plugging in of the seat bones. Okay, so if you think of, I see a lot of riders doing quite a lot of pushing with the bottom. Yes. Um, and, you know, there seems to be, there must be some sort of human instinct that we believe that this is going to make the horse go. I don't think I've ever seen it make a horse go. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like uh, when you sit in I don't know what you call it in English. <laughs> like the swing, yeah, yeah. swing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and I think 
there's also uh, sometimes an idea that you should follow the horse's movement yes with your seat yeah so i think this idea is generally out there but i see a lot of riders kind of doing too much with that so they have more movement in their seat than the horse has in its back so to have your seat bones be really influential this is quite a cool thing to do if you're just riding out or you just want to walk around the arena and you've got some time to mess about with stuff um is to see if you can think of your two seat bones um almost like they're like a, a plug two pins on a plug and then the horse is back as if it has two holes that you're going to plug them into mm. and if you've ever tried to put a plug in the wall in the dark you get this feeling that it goes backwards and forward over the socket and it doesn't quite connect in Mm -hmm. And you look for that same feeling in your own seat bones. So the first thing to do is to halve the movement of your seat bones. So you get more still. Yeah. And then to halve it again. And then, guess what? Halve it again. <laughs> yeah. Until you get a real stillness through your seat bones and a really good connection with the horse's back so that the horse doesn't unplug you with his own movement or that you don't unplug yourself with your movement mm. it's quite incredible really then just how much influence you can have on the horse yeah so this is you know it's not just being still as a statue you're still relative to the horse's back yeah so i think it's it's rather like um if you're on a cross trainer um, do you know what I mean in the gym? The one where your arms go and your legs go opposite ways. Ah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So if you're on a cross trainer, you're standing on the little pedals um, and you're working your arms and your legs are not still. Your feet aren't still in space, but they're still relative to the pedal. Does that make sense? Yes. So that we're going for the same kind of stillness in the rider's seat bones relative to the horse's back. And you can really then uh, collect the walk a little bit with your seat bones just by bringing that movement smaller. And you can also halt with your seat bones and by closing the tops of your thighs. Mm -hmm. And for me, this is like really good horsemanship because when you do something really right with your body, not to say that you wouldn't need the rain. I think you should close your fingers on the rain. I think, of course. Mm. But you reduce the pressure that you need mm. to slow or to stop the horse. And I think, you know, again, I don't know any riders out there who would not be interested in doing better for their horses, mm. you know, by, by doing things like this. If you have to pull less, you know, put less pressure on the horse's yeah. mouth, why wouldn't you? So this, uh, you know, use your seat. We go back to the old riding lessons that I had with all these confusing sayings. That really is a way of using your seat. Mm. Use your seat to slow the horse down or to stop it. And there we've got the detail of, of what that actually means. Yeah. Or one version of what it means, mm. uh, which hopefully is a bit more helpful than just use your seat. Yeah. So whatever that means. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. You get a you get a clue what you mean. Yes, with, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, I think that that um, you know connection 
starts with the seat bones and I think plugging in is a, a great way to get closer to your horse. It's quite amazing as well that if you if you just pick up a normal rein contact, plug in your seat bones and have this alignment in your body with a good connection with your thighs, quite a lot of horses would already be starting to lift their back and be rounder through the neck and, and reaching to the bit with the neck. So, you know, you can begin this already without doing anything very much with the horse's mouth at all. Mm. Um, so I think contact-wise, you know, it's also important to have the detail on the contact as well. Um, so I would say if you, if you closed your eyes and you thought about somebody had taken your bridle off and you just got the bit and a reins, and then you've got to have enough pressure that you don't let the bit fall against the horse's teeth. So that's just just a contact. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not too much, not too little. Hopefully, it's just right. So, um, so I'm giving you lots of little details about like the biomechanics work and, and what it does, and the dressage secret and what that does to hopefully fill in um, some of the gaps really that riders might have in their own knowledge of how to do things and what to do. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, courses in that, or are you writing it down, or how do you? Well, do you know, <laughs> I keep thinking that I should do this, so um, I think I'm going to start and put some content on, um, and and have a YouTube channel that goes by the same name, and going to begin with some content so that people can see it in action because I think that's you know. Hopefully, you know, people will go and run experiments and, and try these things when they're on their own horse, yeah. um, you know, or in a chair or whatever. Um, but it's even better to see it actually in action. So, um, but I mean, the, the way in which a horse can follow your seat bones is incredible. I mean, the first time I learned about this, I had a real runaway mare um, who was, she was very kind, but she just ran away all the time she just mm -hmm. she'd been on the hunting field and she didn't really have uh much of a canter so she used to go from trot directly to gallop um uh, and was pretty fast and pretty hair raising really and she could kind of run off with you in walk you know you could be yeah. walking and, yeah. and my coach would say so who is taking who mm. And I said, well, she's taking me, obviously, because she always does. <laughs> so just in the walk, she was already running away. Yeah. But in that running away, she was also not using her back in any good way. So when I first kind of learned about plugging in the, the seat bones like this, it was like a revelation that I'd got some way to control the speed without, you know, being on her mouth all the time. Mm. Um, but later... Uh, the revelation that I could move my seat bones into canter uh, was amazing, you know. So if they're already plugged in and your seat bone is going to canter, the horse will canter. Yeah. If you're not quite plugged in, then that's not going to happen. But that that astounded me uh, and still does really, you know. Mm -hmm. For as long as I've been doing it, it still is absolutely astounding, uh, the difference you can make with this. So. Mm -hmm. 
and it's kind of subtle and beautiful at the same time. Is you you just have to think the thought and then it goes through your body and yes. the horse is aware of it. Yes, it, it's. I mean, it is unbelievable, isn't it? I think majority of of listeners who've had a horse for a little while will will know that feeling that there's almost a telepathy between the two of you mm-hmm. and the fine tuning in your body and how your body changes. You know, like how do they know if you want a down transition before you've even done an aid? A traditional age you know they always know um how do they always know when you want to go into the trot and they always do know um so it, it is truly astounding really from that point of view yeah that's great i'm looking forward to that channel <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get cracking on that so i've got a, a young lady coming to see me uh tomorrow actually who um is she's in media studies and she has she's young so she knows all about you know how to do these things and that's i suppose really i've been looking for the right person to work mm. with um and she she's actually very exciting to work with so we have our first meeting tomorrow um and then hopefully we can start and film some content i want to make it short so you can watch it yeah. in your lunch break and you, you, know, you have minutes. to repeat it so many times yes uh, of it, course yeah. yeah yeah that's it so uh, and also I'm thinking that I have to um, be brave and put myself on the horse as well. Um, because I think I think a lot of riders out there, it's all right watching somebody who's really wonderful. Um, you know, you watch the world's greatest riders. It, it is truly amazing to see jaw dropping. I don't know how much it helps you because oh. sometimes they are so far away mm. from where you are as an ordinary rider. Whereas, you know, someone like me, I may not be so far away and I'm, you know, and I'm small. I don't have big, long legs or anything like that. Um, uh, small and menopausal and, you know, <laughs> maybe not an ideal rider shape. So, but if I can show what oh, can but, be done, yeah. you know, then that's inspirational, hopefully, for people because that's that's something that the average rider can do without without being a dressage build or yeah. having a dressage budget so um you know Absolutely. i certainly didn't have a, a dressage budget for the chestnut boy which is why i had an ex-hunter you know and currently i'm riding one of the riding school horses rocking it you know so <laughs> and loving every moment where this is fabulous so you know each horse can give yeah. you their best can't they really there's so many more riders in in that level than Yes. than uh, olympic uh, riders yes absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so that's where it's like the average rider out there who really wants to know you know they're the ones that we want to be able to help really so mm. um yeah so i had another um couple of exercises i don't know how much time i'm gonna get but i thought the... yeah you just we're all right yeah okay yeah. so yeah um, Another exercise is really about muscle tone. And here is where I want to talk about, uh, you mentioned earlier, and about saddles being made for men. And I actually think quite a lot of riding instructions are made for men because they originally came from the military, who in those days were men. And they were spending many hours in the saddle and they were fit and not like the average person who's riding two or three times a week. Um, And a woman. So we have the effects of estrogen on our 
bodies as a woman is to make our muscles softer and more pliable um, than a man's muscles. So uh, a man with testosterone rather than estrogen has about 35% higher muscle tone. Mm -hmm. So when they talk about riding, I don't know that they know how it feels to be in a body that is softer and not firmly toned. And most women, the average woman rider, is more like that. I do meet some some high tone women, you know, um, and for sure, you know, all the professional riders have learned how to tone mm. themselves. But yeah. I think in, in the way that it's talked about with the amateur riders is, you know, we have all this thing about relax. And I think if you relax an already soft muscle, then you're going the wrong way with the muscle tone, really. Um, and we have to try to find muscle tone that brings about this stillness through the, you know, like with the plugging in uh, feeling. That's all about stillness, stillness relative to the horse. And then they can, if you like, hear your signals, your aids more clearly if you don't have movement that you don't mean to be doing. So I think the muscle tone is something that's really worth talking about because I think it's much higher than people think um, to get the stillness. So have a few uh, tendons in the body. So when, when we um, activate a tendon, we end up, it kind of sticks out like a piece of firm rope. Um, and the tendons put the muscles into the ideal state. So if we go from uh, the top of our body down, the first tendon is actually underneath your armpit. So if you put yourself into a neutral spine and you pull down hard on your armpits and you can put your hand uh, in the one armpit and feel the tendon here. And as you pull down, you'll activate that tendon. So that then gets the, the muscles through the upper body much more into the right state um, so that would be upper body then if we go to the muscles and the tendons in the rider's uh, groin area obviously that's a very very close area with uh, the saddle if we sit on a firm chair again knees slightly apart and you put your own arm with your fist against the inside of one knee and your elbow on the inside of the other knee and you try to push your knees together and that will then activate the tendons at the top of your thigh into your groin and that's another active tendon that really switches on the right sort of muscle tone the next tendon that we think about is behind the knee and then again we can do this the, the knee tendon actually is is so so good for keeping the lower leg still in balance with the tendons at the front of the foot. So the back of the knee and the front of the foot is part of stabilizing the lower leg. Again, I don't know any riders that don't want a more stable lower leg. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everybody does. It's hard, yeah. isn't it? It's really hard, yeah? Mm -hmm. So if, you, if you're, again, sitting on a chair, you have your foot on the floor and you put your fingers behind the inside of the knee and the outside of the knee. If you imagine then that your foot is sort of glued to the ground or something like that. And you're going to try to draw the foot backwards, but it won't go because it's glued. But you really met the effort of drawing the foot backwards and you feel those tendons pop out. Most people feel the 
inside tendon more than the outside tendon. Um, but that again is it sort of shows and it's surprising, you know, you try it and you think, my goodness, is it really this much? And it really is. So it's it's out of our comfort zone as women because we're we're used to being softer than that. And sometimes then we're told to be softer than that. Yeah. Um, which is a little bit going in the wrong direction, really. Um and then the foot tendons uh wrap your whole uh hand around or your two hands around the ankle and and then try to lift your toes up as if your foot is glued to the ground and spread your toes out and you feel the front tendons in the ankle activate as well so between those and the tendons behind the knee you get that lower leg stability it'll feel you know some people might worry about it being tense or things like that I think that's part of the, the tell that it is more tense than we used to. Um, so a little tendon activating exercise for people. Yeah, <laughs> if they like such right. torture. <laughs> yes. I I never heard of of this before. Right, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> oh good. Well hopefully it's and you know, there again you've got the more secure seat. And I think as a rider, you know, if you if you're on your channel and you're looking at becoming a braver rider, you know, if you have a better seat, you do feel, you know, you know you can survive that spook, yes. that little buck, that, yeah, you know, whatever right. they're going yeah. to do. Um, so, you know, finding this higher muscle tone, mm -hmm. I think it's important to get the breathing right, though. That's yeah. that's the other thing. So um, my final exercise is just a breathing exercise, really and will probably uh, resonate with anyone who's done yoga or anything like that, or if they play uh, a wind instrument or if they sing, yeah. then you always breathe in this way. Mm -hmm. uh, I sing really badly, so I've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to learn how to do this without singing. I also do yoga really badly. I can, I can make that into a thing that lands me in A&A, trust me. So, <laughs> Really can. So if you if you sit upright on your firm chair again, a firm chair is great for this. Or if you've got somebody to hold your horse, and you find the bottom of your ribs, and you put your fingers around like you're trying to encircle yourself. Uh, now my fingers on me are a long way from encircling me at all, <laughs> but some of your tiny listeners may be closer. <laughs> but when we put the the fingers around the ribs. And when you breathe, your, your goal is to try to push your hands apart and not to let the chest come up so that your, your rib cage becomes like a, a flared skirt, almost flaring out. Um, I recently taught this to one of my riders who's a para rider and she, she had a dreadful accident and, and ended up, um, you know, it almost finished her riding kit career, but then she came back as a para rider and she's ridden at a good level. Um, but this breathing for her really enabled her to get a better balance in the saddle. Mm -hmm. And getting that right, she realised, you know, how little attention she pays to it, really, uh, as do we all. So whenever you're firming up muscles, tendons, etc., the breathing has to stay really like a diaphragmatic breathing. So, and, and also if you feel a little bit scared. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can do the diplomatic I, yes. with or without the singing. <laughs> <laughs> we also use singing. That's, that's a yeah. good exercise when yes. you are afraid. <laughs> yeah, 
I had a, a, a teacher who used to, she used to sing, Auntie Mary had a canary up the leg of her drawers. Yes. <laughs> if it didn't make you sing, it'd make you laugh. <laughs> yeah, and but when you, you laugh, everything yeah. is good. Yeah. 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 The UK is full of really eccentric people, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. So, and is there anything else that you wanted to ask me about? Yes, I, I will ask you if anybody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? So, I have a Facebook page at the moment, which is probably the best place. Um, and that is uh, Denise O'Reilly and the Dressage Secret. So, um, they can head on over to there. There's lots of articles on there. Soon there'll be some more interesting co uh, content on there. I've already some short videos on there, um, so they can contact me on there or through uh, the website, which is www.tds, the dressage secret, ridingcentre.co.uk, um, which is more, you know, for the riding centre that I have, but I will pick up emails through that as well. So, And I'm visiting Finland soon, if anybody wants to hop down there that's not so far <laughs> from sweden no it's not so far no uh, that's great it has been a pleasure to hear all that and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it um as i said i have never heard about these things so and i have been with horses for many years so yeah. it's it's right on time i think yeah but you it's learn every day. Things. Yeah, absolutely yeah. with horses all the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Anne. It's it's been a pleasure and uh, I hope I haven't talked too much. <laughs> no, no. It it's your program. <laughs> it's your yeah. podcast. Oh, you. So uh, uh, thank you very much for coming. It has really been a pleasure. And My thank, pleasure yeah. thank you to thank all you. of you out there who has been listening or see this. And uh, please subscribe so we can carry on every week as we used to. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a good time wherever you are in the world. Bye all.